Welcome back to Let Me Ask Ya. The podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jake. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. As always, we are yet again not joined by our sponsor, Raid Shadow Legends. You guys are really letting us down, dude. I feel like every week we just get sadder and sadder. Every week that Raid Shadow Legends does not respond to my emails is another week that I just don't know if I can keep doing this. But we are joined by, yeah, Hezekiah Morris, an author, uh, a pretty big deal in the in, coming up in the in the book world, yeah? Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is um, Arthur Hezekiah Morris. Um, I began writing five years ago. It wasn't by choice. I was <laughs> I was incarcerated, and um, you know I ain't had nothing to do while I was locked up, and I was like, I need some way to spend my time. So I started writing writing my um, autobiography, and um, basically when I got out, uh, um, I got a day labor job, and I started typing it on a computer and I got it copyrighted. I was um, making what, $45 a day working this day labor job. And I just got on the computers, found me a publisher. He was like, all right, you send us a copy of your work and we'll let you know if you're gonna publish it or not. I'm like, all right, cool. In less than an hour, they called back and was like, hey, we're gonna go with it. So they published the book and I was just working one day. I was doing construction you know, back home in Virginia. And I was like, this so I can't do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was like, man, I'm not built to be doing construction, <laughs> you know. So I kept telling my friends at work, man, one day I'm going to New York, man. I'm just going to see what this little one book takes. So I just woke up one morning. I was like, I'm not going back to work. I'm going to New York. And I just got up and left. And when I, I did that, that was the first time in my life that I really just pushed myself. That was the first time in my life that I was ever homeless. The first time in my life for just deciding to do something that I wanted to do in my life. So the homeless part didn't even bother me. The part that bothered me was I didn't want to come back home and be a failure. So upon getting to New York and Philly, I, um, I had book signings at Howard University, Columbia University, Georgetown, um, Penn State, um, Georgia Tech, different different universities across the East Coast. Then I started writing more books. I wrote second part to my book. It was called Restoring Hezekiah, Changing a Generation. That was the first book. That was the autobiography of my life. The second book was the second part. It was Restoring Hezekiah, Me and Only Me. And that talked about relationships, why I was single and going through the problems that a man and a woman have together. And then I was homesick. I wrote my third book, Remember Them Days When We Were Young. And it was talking about hanging out with the boys on on the block and running around acting crazy and just having no care in the world. <laughs> and it's like a whole Friday movie, you know. You know, and at the end of the book, I'm like, you know, I got to change. <laughs> this is not going to last forever. <laughs> my fourth book is when I changed how I wanted to be known as an author. It's like my first three books was an introduction of who I was. My fourth book is called The Player in Me, and it's an erotica romance book. And it revolves around this guy, and he's messing with three women at the same time. And oh, man, it's a crazy book. And actually, that book, we um, produced a movie, we wrote a movie. It's um, the trailers on YouTube under Hezekiah Morris. It's called The Player. That became a movie. And I wrote part two to it a year later. It's called The Player in Me 2. My sixth book 
was the Invisible Woman that came out last Valentine's Day. Now, that one right there is now just now picking up a whole lot of steam. That's a paranormal romance because it's a woman and this man talks about being a ghost. <laughs> and he's in love with this ghost. And it's, it's crazy. And since then, I've just been winning awards for Author of the Year, um, nominated every year, Author of the Year. I won Author of the Year in 38 countries. Um, I just won 2022 Aspiring Authors Magazine, Man of the Year. I also write for the magazine every now and then. I, um, I do graphic designs now, podcasting, um, different things to keep busy while I'm working a full-time job. <laughs> so you said that you were locked up. Were you in jail or, or prison? Yeah, I was in jail. What were you in jail for? Um, What was it? It was a domestic dis- dispute, which it was a misdemeanor, but I wasn't supposed to be around her and I was around her. You know, we got into one of them squabbles. Oh, I'm calling the police. So, <laughs> how long were were you in jail for? I was in jail for four months before my court date on a misdemeanor. It was supposed to go to court that month, that first month, because misdemeanor you're not supposed to even go to jail. For. So, would you say that during your time in the system that that's when you were inspired to become an author, start writing? Oh yes. <laughs> What do you think it was during that time that was the uh, the spark that ignited the flame? I kept, I kept thinking to myself, why do I keep ending up in this situation? Why do I keep getting manipulated by the same person and still ending up in the same exact situation that I'm in? And then I was thinking, like, I've achieved so much in life up to this point, and I've had the chance to do so much. But every time I get to a point where I succeed, I always sabotage. And... I can sabotage my dreams. Every time I get to a certain point in my life, I'll be like, uh-oh, it feels too good. Something's not right. And you know I want to go and screw it up. And where did, you said you were from Virginia. What part of Virginia? Um, Appomattox. Small county in Appomattox. But it's still before I ended. <laughs> How long? So you were in jail for four months. Yes. How much of the book were you able to complete while you were in jail? I did the whole book. In four months? I wrote, four months. I, yep. Four months. How long is your first book? Oh, it's only about 113 pages. <laughs> I thought it was more than that because I was writing on everything that I had in there to write on. You know, you really don't have that much paper. You sure. don't get a notepad or nothing like that. So I'm writing on the little sheets that you got to order food and stuff off. So I got a big booklet of just things I got to put together when I get out. <laughs> it was crazy. And everybody was like, man, you should publish it when you get out published. So I finally did publish it. And I was on a News get interviewed. I had all oh, man, all kind of books signed. It was a, it was crazy. The hype just going and writing my first book. Was there any particular inspiration behind your first book, or did you just let the creative juices flow? The inspiration behind it, it was because it was like, why, why do I keep end up in situations that I'm in? Why do I keep sabotaging my life? Being an ex addict, being you know, just got all the tools in the world to be successful and the tools that I'm using, I'm destroying myself with my God-given talent. I'm just constantly destroying myself, my way, of, my way of thinking, my way of doing things, my way of, my outlook on life was just misconstrued at the same time. So I went all the way back to when I was growing up and I was like, how can I pinpoint what went wrong? And, you know, in that first book, it talks about domestic violence. It talks about you know, in a household where you felt like you wasn't loved and you was the darkest one in your family, how people used to pick on you and stuff. And, you know, me just 
different situations. Everybody want more out of me than what they was giving me. It sounds like the first book was really like an introspective look at your own life from your point of view. I'd say that the first time you produce something, content create, like the first time you produce content, there's kind of like a content creation high. How long did that like adrenaline from that first book last before you started on your second? Well, when I moved to Philly and, um, and I started marketing and promoting my first book, I started on my second book. I didn't even want to write a second book. I was like, but me and my fiance, we had broke up and all of this. You know, I was I was just pissed at the world and pissed at her. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book about her. <laughs> so I just started writing a book about her and everything. And it, 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 it was crazy because I just made it part two of the first book. Like, here we go again. <laughs> so what was, your, what was the overall theme of your second book? Um, it, it was touching on relationships, like how us as men, we get in these relationships and we get labeled as we are a dog or we just a player, but they never look at the situation that made us that way or how we got that way in the first place or what hurt us to make us do to others as it was done to us. And it was like, for me, I always stay single for a minute and then i would get in these relationships and i was like oh i'm in love and it's like oh man ain't no love here you know <laughs> i'm stuck like i fall in love too easy so i had to come to the grips it's like okay you're gonna be a player or you're gonna fall in love which one do you like <laughs> you know what i mean i mean i like falling in love but at the same time love hurts and so when i'm writing in this book i'm, I'm talking about the different aspects of love and how a man feels inside it's not just what society labels them. We do have a heart. We do care. You know, we just, sometimes we just pick the wrong ones. I was going to say that I think that can be pretty hard to being judged on the outside, especially when people aren't familiar with the situation that you went through. And I'm a firm believer. Well, I think I'm a firm believer that some people can become the product of their environment. So there's more to it than just like surface level intentions behind our actions. So I'm sure that was, that must've been hard, especially with the woman that you love, you know? And for me, Jacob, it's like if they don't know your background, where you come from or who you are, only thing they see is the outward appearance. They don't know what hurts you. They don't know what you are sensitive to. They don't know what you are, what kind of baggage you are carrying or what kind of weight you're carrying on your back. And all they see is this, oh, man, this, this guy, this guy, this guy, he's, he's popular, he's this, but they don't know who you are. And six months later then you meet her representative and you meet his representative and you find out that there's no love there it's like we are totally complete opposite and your third book you said was also like an introduction to who you are what was the general theme of that book oh man it was man me and my homeboys back home man we had we had a good ride man we had fun every day was like a friday Drinking, smoking, whatever, girls, women, hey, every day was the same day. And every day was a, it was a adventure for us to come up with or something that we was going to do that was crazy and it was fun. And it was, it was like we had no cares in the world, no cares for <laughs> life. Oh, we're going to die this day. Hey, we didn't care. You know, we was young and dumb. We were just running through the streets. Man. And I had missed that. You know, I felt I'm, I'm like, I'm changing now. I'm morphing into a man now. And it's I miss these times. And so I just decided to write a book about all the good times that we had. 
it sounds like the first three books that you wrote, they kind of have this like storytelling while also taking a deep dive into some really important lessons. And I'm just curious, do you have any formal training in, in mental health or anything like that? Well, no, I've been um, diagnosed as um, depression, bipolar, PTSD from some of the stuff I've seen growing up or been through. But as in mental health um, training or anything like that, no. And I never and I, I didn't start dealing with my mental health until about my about my fourth book. That's when I started dealing with my own mental health and my own diagnosis of with depression, going through PTSD and the, just the, um, the mood changes and stuff like that. But going through my past, and just trying to get rid of everything that was bothering me, you know, trying to get on the right track, trying to do the right things. I think I've seen it a lot and, and I want to highlight it that people that, you know, had had like a rougher, a more rough around the edges upbringing then a lot of people really excel in this type of stuff. I mean, this is what you're describing is really, really deep, really good introspective work that you've done by yourself, partly locked up. And I think it's just like uh, people have more influence than they than they think they do. And I think you're a prime example of someone who realized they had things to say and then did something about it. And, and, and the funny thing about it, it's like when you when you when you battle mental health, we we have the highest of the highest and the lowest of the lowest. Like I can win an award and I, my book can be number two in the world or I can get all these accomplishments and I still feel so alone. It's still not enough. It's still not satisfying. Like you'll get that instant gratification and it's like, I need to do more. It's still not enough. I'm still not good enough. I'm still not worthy of this. I'm still not the man that everybody thinks I am. It's, it's, it's hard on a, on a man too, you know, to try to, in, in this world today to really accept his accomplishments and to go through and help others and let them know that, you know, this is what we deal with on a daily basis and just let the world know. It's kind of sometimes it's embarrassing to let the world know that, you know, we go through this. We don't want to seem weak, but at the same time, we struggle too, you know, just like women struggle. Yeah, we struggle too. We go through problems. We have mental health issues too that we haven't dealt with. We've had things in our childhood that we haven't dealt with. And the highs and the highest, and that's where the mental mental um illness and the mental the mental part comes in. You know, where the doctors try to get you from being this high and being this low, they're trying to get you on an even keel. Yeah, and going back real quick, um, it's really you're not going to find happiness, you're not going to find fulfillment in materialistic outside sources. Uh, you you got to look inward and be able to love and accept yourself and be happy and content with who you are before outside things help contribute to that. You, they'll, they'll contribute, but they're not going to be the source of your happiness. And I think that the generation that we live in, a lot of us are conditioned, especially through social media, that validation is everything. You know, Facebook, Instagram, and you know, a thousand people like your picture, you know, you're doing something right, but are you really doing something because you wanted to do it? You're not living in the moment. You're not enjoying the time that you have with your loved ones. Instead, you're broadcasting that to the world in hopes that everybody else is enjoying what you're doing. And I think that people lose touch with being in the moment. And then that leads to the lack of fulfillment, the lack of happiness. And then they blame it on, oh, I have all this stuff, but I, you know, I, I still feel so empty inside. It's because you haven't taken two seconds to really get to know yourself. And and you and you hit it right there because it's like everything's broadcasting on social media now. Everybody wants to feel a part. They're like, oh, I need my partner to be this way. I need him to be this way. I need to love this way and this way. 
and we forget about the core of what's inside of us. And that's hurting society now, I think, you know, as a whole, because we're trying to compete with others that we never had to compete with. See, we didn't have cell phones back when I was growing up, you know, so we only person we needed to compete with was being better than ourselves, you know, or being better than our fathers. <laughs> like, all right, we see daddy going to work at the mill every day. We need to be better than that. <laughs> yeah, and it definitely sets a lot of unrealistic expectations because it's just as easy as going online and finding somebody that you want to aspire to be. And now everything else you throw to the wayside because this person's everything to you. So then you make a legitimate connection in the real world and you immediately dismiss it because it doesn't fill your false narrative that you've created from virtual world. It's really sad. And I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I haven't fallen victim to it too. Because I have some of some aspects of my social life have definitely suffered due to that. You know, I sit here and I acknowledge it and I try to to get better from it. But like, I'm not I'm not laying blame on, on others. I'm just pointing out the issue. Every day can't be a win, man. Oh, I know, I know. It's called a character building day, not a bad day. It's character building day. I can't imagine that moving to New York and aspiring to become an author was filled in the early days with a lot of. Uh, wins. I think you. If if I'm guessing, you probably had more character building days than you had wins. Oh man, people don't even know how hard it is, man. It, man, it it was rough. Like I was, it wasn't even social media for authors wasn't even cranked up like it is now. You know, anybody can go on social media and say, oh, how many books they want to. Back, you know, back when I was doing it five years ago, you had to hit the concrete and you had to go by places. I remember I walked into a barber shop. I was like. Hey man, when would y'all purchase one of my books? I was like, man, we don't want that shit. <laughs> you know, I was pissed, man. Yeah, I was like, he's like, how do you think I'm gonna read? How do you think I'm gonna read? I got scissors in one hand, comb in the other hand. I got, I got time for books, yeah. man. Man, and it was funny. That was like, we don't want that shit in here. I was like, oh man. And you know what's so funny about that situation though? I walked right next door. And I walked in, and the lady was like, what you got? I said, I got a book. She was like, oh, I'm going to put you on TV. <laughs> um, it was back home. I was on a local news channel for my first book. My uh, mentor, he used to come to, um, his name is Steve Manetti. He used to come to, um, to the jail all the time and give us class and coping skill classes and stuff like that. And when I got out, I told him, I said, hey, man, I wrote a book. And he hooked me up with all the resources I needed, man. He got me on the radio, the TV, and everything. <laughs> How long does it usually take for a book to gain traction? Your first two weeks is the most important. Your first two weeks of marketing and promoting is the most important when it comes out. After the first two weeks, you're going to go through a dry spell. And that's that's usually when I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm not going to market and promote the book anymore. Then... What's the crazy thing about it? I had a publisher tell me, don't write more than one book a year because you want to get time for your first one to say it. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to write two and three this year. You know, I, I didn't did it. And by the time I get ready to write that book that comes after that, the one before that starts to sale. <laughs> and it picks up traction. And you're like, uh-oh, I better not publish this one here. <laughs> let me hold off for a little bit and let this one keep, keep picking up pace, keep picking up traction. because. Social media, people are glance at stuff and they'll come back to it. People are glance at stuff and they'll come back to it. And they'll forget what they've seen. You, you can put something on social media today, but at the end of the week, they forgot they've seen. And I've seen people like, oh, congratulations. And this is a year later that the book came out. So with me, it's the first two weeks. And then I'm going to wait a couple of months. 
And then I'm going to bring it back and it's going to be like it's brand new to you because that's how it is. But I think it's more or less how much you put into it, how much you're willing to push that book. And for me, I'm not the type that's going to push my book down your throat, <laughs> but you're going to get a good book to read just by reputation. I'm not going to say, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. <laughs> yeah, a big part of that, probably the most important part is consistency. Mm-hmm. Clay and I were just talking about um, how like TikTok and YouTube shorts and stuff are probably yes. a lot more beneficial because people these days have such short attention spans that if you post something that's an hour long, they're less likely to click on it and stay tuned versus you post a 30 second to one minute clip of something, make sure that the content is good. And then, and only then, people might be willing to check out what you have. It's like with Facebook Reels. You know, I'm posting Reels every day. I'm getting like 300 views, 400 views, 500 views. Then one day out the blue, I post this Reel, and it was Charlemagne the God from um, The Breakfast Club, and he was talking about marriage and relationships. Boom. All of a sudden, it has 10,000 views. Then I post another Reel about relationships. Boom. It has 20,000 views. Next thing you know, the Charlemagne the God Reel that I post is up to a million views. Now I'm a digital creator for Facebook Reels. <laughs> now everything that I post gets over a thousand views or more. <laughs> but it's like it's like it's a battle every day. You you have to be um you have to be consistent. You have to keep pushing. What does your day in day out routine marketing look like? Oh man, if I work in the mornings because I want I have a full time job. If I get up in the morning, I'm up at five. Four or five o'clock is my working hours for my books. But before anybody gets up in the morning, I done marked and promoted on three different sites and pushed my interviews on people, everything. So by, by the time anybody gets a head start, I'm already there. <laughs> I, I'm there. I'm doing content. I'm doing videos to my stuff. I done made videos for everything. And yeah. Well, it's a really competitive market, so you got to do what you can to stay on top and make sure that your stuff is what people are seeing because – the internet is so big now. It's just there's a, a million things being posted all the time. So it's just it's hard to to rise above that. So good on you. It sounds like you're doing really good for yourself, though. Do you have any plans for future books? I mean, obviously you do. But is there any like of note that you have coming up? I have three more coming out. I have um the pastor's son that's going to be coming out shortly. I just need to type it up. It's already done. I already written it. I just need to type it up. I have the Louisiana Purchase. It's coming up. That's like a mini love story. Um, then I have the six or eight boys. That's about me and my boys when I was a little boy growing up in the country and how we was a, a crew and how we just went through having a good time in our high school days. <laughs> the pastor's son would be what had happened if my father, he, which was a pastor, called me back home to lead his church. And I'm not um, I'm not saved. I'm of the world instead of uh, <laughs> religious. So. I'm going to change my ways and become the pastor of this church. And, and listen, big pushback. Oh, man, this is it's, it's good. <laughs> Are your books more of like a creative endeavor or is it like an extension of yourself? Are you trying to tell people about who you are? Mm -hmm. That's that's what it is. It's an extension of me, of my thoughts and who I am and what I go through in life and different mm -hmm. phases of my life that I went through situations and what happened if this situation happened or that situation happened. And are you hoping that it's used as like teaching moments for people or is it just a way to tell your story? It's both because what, what I'm what I'm giving them is I'm letting people know I don't want them to go through what I had to go through. 
I don't want them to have to face the things that I had to face. I don't want them to go through the challenges that I had to go through. And also, it's to get it out for off of me so it doesn't weigh me down and continue to be who I want to be going through everything that I do. That's very admirable. Who would you say your audience with these books that you've written already is mainly? Women. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. They, they, they love sex, man. They love, they love erotica romance. I don't know why, but women loves it, man. <laughs> Hot and steamy. <laughs> man, if it sells, it sells. Yeah. <laughs> I've also um I've started an enterprise with um two other women where we're getting women to sign up and we're teaching them how to do podcast shows and how to brand their own names and how to, you know, market and promote themselves. So that's a that's that's another thing that I'm doing that's fun to helping others out, you know, getting to where I get to. Um, as an author, um I actually I found something the other day and I thought it was kind of insane. What do you think about the AI that's coming out um, in, in sort of in droves about their ability to write full-fledged novels based on, on an idea that you feed them? Oh, man, I would love that. I would, defi- I would definitely love that. Talking to an AI and letting them, oh, man, that would be great. <laughs> I'd be like, AI, hey, I'm thinking about this. Write a whole book, please. <laughs> Don't you think that that might detract from the message trying to be sent? It takes away a lot of like the, the the personal feel of the books, like less of a connection, right? I think I think typing a book on a computer takes away from the authenticity the authenticity of you writing a book because it takes away from your brain power. Because like I would never type a book on a computer. I'm going to write it first with pencil and paper. Yeah, but even when you type it, I mean, the, the idea is still yours. The, the way that you feel is still, I, I mean, it's just, it's not pen to paper, obviously, but it's it's still very much your thoughts. It's, it's a big difference because you type it and you got to worry about backspacing, the, putting this period where you're supposed to put it, or misspelled words. You got to always go back, always go back, always go back. With that pencil and paper, you can just write on through, shoom, 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 and not worry about mistakes or nothing like that. You know what I mean? Your, your train of thought is, Boom, boom, boom. So you, know? you would rather people see the errors in, in your writing? Yes. Well, he also probably saves it for the editor. Yeah, yeah. I, I write it all on a piece of paper. Then I type it up. Then I send it to the editor, let her put the periods and punctuations and all that in. It's not a glamorous job, but somebody's got to edit content. Right. Hey, that's that job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, like one of my editor one time was like, my editor was one time like telling me, hey, you need that's a punctuation. I said, hey, that's what you get paid for. <laughs> <laughs> for real, man. I was like, that's what you get paid for, right? What are you telling me for? I know that. <laughs> but ain't I'm paying you to do that? <laughs> I think they just want a way to read your book for free without worrying about anything. Right. <laughs> or they want to do a half-ass job. <laughs> listen, listen, as an editor, I'm going to tell you, they don't remember what that book says. They're not reading that. They're like, that's the end of a sentence, period. Uh, that needs to be capitalized. Because when I go back and edit the podcasts, I mean, there's there's an hour and a half worth of audio. You think I listen to all of it? No. no. I skip around. I'm like, let's see. There's a big space. What's going on right there? Let's delete all that. Let's delete all of it. Let's just delete all that. Let's take it out. How long, how long was this point? He made the mm-hmm. point in the first 30 seconds. All right, let's delete the rest of it. I don't, I, I, and a lot of the times, you know, someone asks me like, oh, what's your latest episode about? 
uh, you know, man, I don't remember. They're like, well, you did it. But yeah, but then I edited it. So if I didn't edit it, I would remember what we talked about. But now I got to go edit. So all of the segments that we do, I'm going to do each segment at a time. And then I'm going to forget what I already did because I got to move on to the next and move on to the next and move on to the next. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same editing a book. They're probably just looking for grammar, looking for spelling, looking for punctuation. And like after I write the book, I hate reading it and reading it and reading it over. And still by the publishing, you still see a typo. You be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I ain't got time. <laughs> they yep. just don't have to understand what that word is. I don't care how many times you read that book. How do you prevent burnout? You're, you're producing a lot of content. How do you prevent burnout? I burnt out about <laughs> three years ago. It was on my third book. I was like, what am I doing this for? I'm not getting no recognition. Nobody knows. You know, I'm not selling no books or nothing like that. And then out the blue, I got nominated for an award. I was like, uh-oh, somebody's noticing me. Then I got nominated for another one. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. Maybe I better keep writing. And I was just sitting down and I just came with an idea to write another book. I try to keep, what it is, is you don't want to burn yourself out to keep writing stuff that's not going to sell. Or if it's not if it's not true to who you are, I wouldn't recommend you just writing a book to me because it's, it's obviously, man, to write a book every day. I'm like, how did I write a book every day? My thought process, I got to take months off before I decide I want to write another book. Like my thought process, I'm everywhere. Like I got to live out a story first before I write a book. I can't just think of a story. But for me, it's like, I get it's an enjoyment of just to see other people reading your work and they enjoying it and they like it and it keeps me pumped up you know it keeps me pumped up helping others They're like oh man thank you for this thing and it just be the simplest things that is rap is just that they like that you do you're like man that's so easy but you are helping them do that i love it i say it all the time it's uh it's the feedback yes definitely. that's that's what that's that's what prevents burnout for me, at least. You're talking about um, just like how how you don't know how much influence a single person has, but dude, right. you, like Clay goes through all the work of making sure that the episodes sound good, and then um, one person, literally one person, <laughs> says something nice about it, and you're like, "Fuck it, it was worth it." Yeah, right. Hey, that's it. That's all you need is one person. You're like, okay, and then somebody will come in your inbox, man. You're really an inspiration to me, man. I'm- well, at first it's like, hey, man, that was pretty all right. And you're like, all right, yeah, shoot for the moon nice. now. Shoot for the moon. Let's go. That's it. You, that's, that's that one person you're inspiring. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the joy of it right there. Like when they come in your inbox and they remember who I was before I started writing books and what I'm doing now. That's the, that's the joy. Of it. How far would you say that writing has helped you develop and grow as a person? Oh, man. It makes me be mindful of what of some of the things that I do <laughs> that I can't do anymore. You know, it's, it makes me mindful of um, of maturing into a man, into a responsible man, into a responsible person of society. Not only do I have to watch what I do, I also have the world looking at me now. But back when we were, when we didn't really have electronics, um, like when when you had all the like the philosophers and great writers and painters it seemed like nearly everybody at that point was of a higher class or like a higher way of thinking they weren't scared to think bigger what do you think or how do you think that it translates into our modern world where it's farther and fewer between where you see modern people that are writers 
painters, philosophers, those types of things. And see, you you can tell by the work now that's been put out. Like, I can get a book from back then, like you was talking about, and I can I'll be like, what are these big words? Like, I need a dictionary to read every line. You know, now it's more or less everybody is able to put that stuff out there, and everybody will be able to use you know that skills as what they have as skills. Like they don't have to be philosophers or professors now to write books. You know, they can they can just write about how they feel on a daily basis and put them in blogs and put it up on social on social media and that thought process, and that makes us more or less we can see how they feel as a person like these people that use these big philosophy words i'm like okay that's good but at the same time if i don't understand what you are saying and i gotta get a dictionary to read every line what use is that doing me? you know i'm not getting nothing out of the book so i think that modern technology has came along and helped us produce more as being in the, um the writing and the um, author business because back then there wasn't many authors that really was producing books you only had a select few that was actually putting out books and most of the books you couldn't really understand unless you was reading a romance book by danielle Steele. <laughs> and still then you had to get a dictionary <laughs> like what is this <laughs> what would you say is the most important aspect in crafting a good story being true to yourself being true to your fans, being true to your readers, not giving them nothing that's going to be watered down. You'll know, you'll know if your book is going to be watered down or not. When I'm getting ready to write a book, I have a two-week time frame. After two weeks, I'm done with the book because leading up to me writing that book, I didn't already wrote the whole book in my head. It's just me putting it down on paper. And it's me being, okay, when am I going to be able to sit down and actually get down and write this book? And it'd be stuck in my head. It'd be stuck in my head and keep pushing. I get up at two or three in the morning, write little notes down. Here, I want to write this and put this together. And then something to click. All right, it's time to write that book. I take that whole two weeks. I won't get on social media much. I won't make phone calls much. But in less in about two weeks, it's done. I wrote my whole fourth book on my cell phone. On your cell phone? Like in your notes app? Yep. On my word. In word. On my cell phone. The whole book. We get a lot of author authors. Well, we actually haven't had an author on the show, but if we but we have had a lot of authors on our show, if you could say one thing to the aspiring authors of the world, what is one thing that you would give to them as a piece of advice? Um, let's keep pushing. That's you know when you get down on yourself. No, no, no two authors are the same. The way you write is the way you write. Don't never judge your work with another person's work because what might inspire somebody might not inspire inspire this person. Like what I might write, you might not like. And we all out here trying to make a little niche in the world, you know, and let's keep pushing. Don't give up. And the first thing is just write the book. That's the first thing I tell everybody. Everybody comes to my head, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. All right, write the book. It's that simple. <laughs> I think that can translate to most things too. pretty much everything that if you focus, if you compare yourself to other people and you focus on others progress, you're never going to notice your own. And that can be a dangerous path to go down. Mm hmm. And that's where a lot of that insufficient views on yourself, the the dysmorphias of the world, the negative outtake or outlook that you have, it's it all plays in hand. Like you're like, yeah, look, dude, it's a big pond. There's always gonna be a bigger fish, right? right. Don't yeah. focus on that. Just focus on if you were better than you were yesterday. 
when I when I got in the game, they had clicks and offer clicks and everything. And I'm like, I don't care, man. I got this one book. I'm the man. I'm great. You know what I mean? And I pushed that one book like I was great, like I belong. <laughs> one little book, skinnier than I don't know what, but hey, I did it. You're right. Yeah. And like you'll never be Edgar Allan Poe, right? But mm-hmm. but like you're you, you know? Like you yep. don't you don't have to you don't have to be the J.K. Rowlings or the Tolkien's or the give me someone else. <laughs> and I got to do it my way. Lewis Carroll said it best in Alice in Wonderland. Start at the beginning and right. go until you get to the end. That's it. That's it. Where do I begin? Um, put the pencil to the paper or the hands to the keys. <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, it's not going to write itself. <laughs> well, what if, what if I miss something? Um, that's what you got erasers for and backspace for <laughs> along the way. Just do it. If you don't start it, it's never going to happen. You can tell me all day I want to write a book. But if you're not going to be like, all right, I'm going to write this down. You're wasting my time and yours. <laughs> What would you say is one lesson that you learned throughout the process of writing all these books and becoming an author that is translated into every other part of your life? Helping people out, um, giving them different pieces of how to get advantages and disadvantages throughout the writing literary world and showing them how you navigate through different things and giving them stuff that you have earned, that you have learned that they never earned, and they take it and run with it. Other than other than any of your books, what is the most inspiring book that you've read? Black Boy by Richard Wright. I was in fourth grade. That was like one of my first books other than a romance book because my mom used to read all Danielle Steele books. I mean, she had boxes and boxes of romance books. And that's how I, that's when I first started reading. I was like four years old reading romance books. <laughs> and, you know, by the time I got to like fourth grade, I was like, all right, I really need a a real book to read. And I read um, Black Boy by Richard Richard Wright. And it was about him leaving from the South, going to the North as a um, as a man of color. And that was a really, oh man, that was a really inspiring books. And then after that, man, I just started, I like John Grissom, um, what's it, um, Daniel Shabati, um, man, James Patterson book. Oh man, actually James Patterson books and John Grissom, they inspired me a lot. Because I like to, I like that creativity, the way they outline their books and they go about talking about a story and placing different events and different things. They really inspire. And that's to how I kind of write my books too. I, t- I try to, I try to piggyback off of some of the their writing styles and how they write. Because for, for me as an author, you only grow by studying all the authors. James Patterson might be the most successful author in history. That man. Every section. Okay, I went to the library the other day. That's right. I go to the library sometimes. I know how to read. Okay. (laughs) I went to the library. James Patterson. I I saw his books. I was like, oh, yeah, that's the adult section over there. And I was like, wait a minute. That's the mystery section. Yes. Wait a minute. That's the young young adult section. Wait a minute. What's he doing in the children's section? James Patterson. Who are you? James Patterson don't have to write all his books. Ah, you see, we're out. We're coming for you now, James Patterson. He has all the authors that writes. This is now a James Patterson exposure podcast. This is now a James Patterson exposure podcast. James Patterson, I still love you. I know you're a great writer, but I would like to get like that sometimes where I don't have to write the book. I can just put my name on it. How does it feel that you probably have a younger audience out there that wants to be a writer like you? Awesome. 
It means I'm leaving a legacy behind. My dad used to, um, when I was a kid, my, in essence, my dad did not want me to grow up and be dumb. So when I was not in school during the summers, he would make me read a plethora of books and he would make sure that I read them. He would quiz me on the books, like he'd scroll through and ask me questions. And then when I was done, he would have me sign my name in, in, in the book. And that was like one more for the books that I read. I honest to God, I, I read the most I ever read was 105 books in one summer. Wow. And it was it was a lot of those stories like The Adventures of Tom Sawyer or Thousand Leagues uh, Below the Sea or Call of the Wild, those kinds of books. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that killed my love for literature <laughs> because I, dude, I cannot get myself to read another book. And see, for us, it was more or less... Um... We had this thing in school, but program in school, like if you read this, these books, you get these stars and you get a free pizza from Pizza Hut. Oh, man, I was reading books like it wasn't nothing. Like I was playing. It was called Book It. Man, I get these stars. You get to you fill your star up. As many books as you read, you go get your pizza. Man, I was getting a pizza every week. <laughs> For our listeners, as we draw to the end of our time, where can they find you? Where can they find your books? Man, you can um you can find me on Amazon Hezekiah Morris. You can find me on in Barnes and Nobles Hezekiah Morris and three thousand other bookstores. You can find my books in Barnes and Nobles and um Amazon. You can find me on Facebook it's Hezekiah Morris. Instagram is Arthur Hezzy. Twitter is Morris underscore Hezekiah, and TikTok is Has More eight five two two. Also got Linktree. I'm basically on them. YouTube, too, is Hezekiah Morris. Check it out. It's not hard to find him. Hezekiah Morris. Search on Amazon. Hezekiah Morris books. Uh, they'll, they'll pull up. They pulled up for me, and I'm not smarter than the average bear, so <laughs> you can do it, too. Listen, Hezekiah, when are you writing your next book? Um, It's well. It's done. I just need to type it up. It's the pastor's son. That's done. I'll probably start... After I write that and type that up, I'm going to publish that. I'm my own publisher now, too. I publish my own books. In that next book, I got the perfect scene for you. Oh, yeah. This evening, the sun's going down over the ridge. And as as the character is walking down the street, he sees a dark-haired white man holding down (laughs) a blonde-haired white man as he shaves his fucking mustache on his his face, right? I'm coming for you, Jake. I'm coming for you, buddy. (laughs) You know, I might put that in there. I will remember that. Yes. <laughs> cop, before we go, who do you have in a fight? A silverback gorilla or a grizzly bear? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. The grizzly is nice, but the silverback gorilla ain't no joke either. <laughs> Grizzly's no joke. Grizzly all day. No way, dude. You <laughs> it see- has knives for hands, dude. The gorilla's jaw muscles move on its forehead, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> Your jaw muscles move on your forehead, too. That doesn't say much about you. Thanks for listening to Let Me Ask You, the podcast where Jake is still an animal. You can find us on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, (laughs) Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find us. Hezekiah, thank you for joining us. We're excited for your new books coming out. Listeners, if you need to find his books... Go check our socials. It's going to be there. Really, Jake, you got nothing. I thought you were going to start popping off. You usually pop off the end. So I I, I, I took a breath. I waited for you. Do you want me to do a hot take? I thought you were going to do a hot take, but you didn't. All right, here's a hot take for you. Abortion. Okay, that's where we're going to end the podcast. Thanks for coming. Uh, Check us out next time.